You are listening to Matter of Theology, a podcast production that deals with church and cultural issues from a biblical standpoint. We stand firm on the sufficiency of Scripture, hitting every topic with an open Bible and the boldness to say things that others are afraid to. And now, here's the host of Matter of Theology, Chris Huff. Welcome back to Matter of Theology. No, I am not Chris Huff. It is I, Drew, but fear not, uh, because I'm not alone. I have brought back to the show our friend Dave Jenkins from Servants of Grace to discuss his book, The Word Explored, that comes out this March 15th. So you'll want to be on the lookout for that, especially after this interview. So Dave, welcome back, brother. Hey, man. Thanks so much for having me back. It's a privilege to come on your show. I appreciate you very much. Yeah, no problem, man. You write a book and, you know, we want to talk about it because uh, it's going to be good. Um, wow, that's that's really, really <laughs> kind. Thank you. I mean, I mean, I, I can also say that because because you sent me the PDF and I've already read it. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, right, can, right. I can say that, too. Um, yes, yes, you can. Firsthand knowledge. <clears throat> but uh, so what is the idea behind the word explored and what led you to write it yeah well you know there's a long explanation and a short explanation always with me but the short explanation is um i just am really concerned i became concerned in doing bible studies and with people young and old really and uh, leading them over the years and just saw how people didn't really they understood how they understood the mechanics if you will but they didn't understand why they do what they did like there was this guy in a Bible study I led in Idaho. I'm not going to name his name, but, you know, I was wrapping up my, that Bible study and we had spent like a year and a half going through John five through 12. Well, at the end of John 12, you know, Jesus talks about how uh, that people's hearts will be hardened. And he, he thought that that was absurd. He could not, he did not believe that Jesus would harden anybody's heart. And I was mm. like, wait a minute. Um, what about Pharaoh? You know, these right, things. Right. And it just hit me like we're, we're like walking through and asking all sorts of questions and or they're asking me questions and I'm answering them and we're just really working together. So I really just, it hit me in thinking about it, you know, as I was thinking, what do I write? What do I write? What book do I write? And, um, that's that's really what came to mind is not just a how-to book but a why book Um, yeah and and this so this book is is really aiming to help people understand both why and how to read study and meditate memorize and apply the bible along with how do we do life in the church so yeah not just because again like i was when I was doing, when I've done local church ministry, you hear people say, well, I can only come to this event, but I can't come to that. And I think a lot of that has to do in my mind with not really understanding why what we're doing. Mm-hmm. If, if, if somebody understands why we're doing something, I think they're going to be more likely to participate. Um, so that's really the one why I wanted to take the approach I did in the book. Yeah, I think that, that's a good point. The understanding the why, right? It's not just we just just the do, but why do we do? Yeah. I think that's very important for, for us to understand. Otherwise it, it then becomes this, this burden and just something to check off the to-do list. And it, it's not that at all, but we're going to, I think we're going to get into that um, a little later, <clears throat> but one of the things I thought was really cool and I, and it was cool really because you, you had told me a while ago that this was happening, but Costi Hen wrote the foreword. Yeah, 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 that uh, was really cool. <laughs> and 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 how I met Costi is kind of interesting too. I, I, I don't know where you're going with that specific question, but um, I he contacted me before he wrote for Christianity Today, before anybody really knew him, before mm-hmm. he'd been on Pulpit and Pin. Um, he he tells me the story. He he was just searching for a place to write, and yeah, he uh, started yeah. writing for Servants of Grace and. Um, so he and I became quick friends and I, I honestly didn't know who he was at all. And then, <laughs> then when he like blew up, I'm like, who in the world is this guy? Hen, hen. the name Hen hit my, hit me. And then I'm like, oh, oh. okay. So you're, you're that guy. You're that guy. And then, you know, when I moved to California, we, we, uh, got together and, uh, hung out a few times and just, 
uh, been been good friends ever since. So that's awesome. Yeah, I thought I thought that was really cool that he he wrote that for. But now it makes sense as to as to why because you know y'all have this re- relationship um, because especially Costi's he's he's really hot right now. You know, everyone wants his take on things. Uh, so that's really neat. But another thing I thought was interesting was kind of when you opened up the book, <clears throat> as you get into it, you, you, you talk about William Tyndale, you mentioned William Tyndale, the whole aim of William Tyndale's life. So why the importance? And I guess, I guess, let me back up for the listeners that don't know, um, before I ask the question, William Tyndale was someone who worked uh, to get the Bible translated into English. At the time, they only had in England the Latin Vulgate. Uh, so he worked tirelessly to translate the Bible into English so that the people could have have their, their own translation in their own vernacular. And <clears throat> what's really interesting is that he actually never finished. John Rogers, his associate, finished it and presented it to Henry VIII under the title of the Matthews Bible and got it published. Because if it had Tyndale's name attached to it, it wouldn't have been published. Um, But why the importance at the time for the people to have a Bible that they can read? Well, you're kind of hitting on it right there with just what you said. But I mean, the people, you know, from the Dark Ages around the time when Rome fell up until that time, you know, they didn't have Bibles. The The priest was functioning as, you know, and the interpreter of scripture, you know, the minister of scripture and everything. So they didn't have the Bible in the same way that, you know, we have it today. We, we take that for granted, right? We can, you know, I have four or five Bibles right next to me right now. Right. You know, people don't, I have one on my phone, you know, we think, oh, well, you know, <clears throat> they, they, they don't even understand. People don't understand. They didn't have a Bible. And so this is really, really important because, you know, they depended upon the priests and not the priest king, Jesus, you know, as Hebrews talks about. So men like, you know, Tyndale and Wycliffe and and Luther, they were raised up to bring the Bible to the people. I mean, Luther literally did that right at the cost of his own life. Right, right. hidden um in that in that fortress mm-hmm. and so so this is hugely important because what these men wanted they wanted the word to be central in in the life of the local church you know just kind of touching on that what does that mean today i know people are always wanting to know what does that mean today um you know we have more bible and theological resources than ever i just mentioned i have four bibles on my desk here mm-hmm. um so the problem isn't that we have enough good information. There's lots of good websites and ministries. Um, the problem is that we don't understand why we, we have that and what to do with it. And, you know, we were just talking about this a minute ago, so I'll just go to the biblical argument. You know, when we look at Paul, the structure of Paul's uh, epistles, you know, we could say, you know, first we have the indicative of Christ has done, and then we have the imperative, um, which is what we, Christ um, has done. So what he does, if we follow this pattern, he first starts with why. why. Why did Christ come? Why did Christ die? And then it's the how. But we reverse that order, right? Mm-hmm. We are so obsessed, and contempor- contemporary Christian publishing is so obsessed, obsessed with telling you how to do this, how to do that. And I mean, there's plenty of good books, right? We both know that on reading, reading the Bible and all those things. But there's very precious <clears throat> little that gets to the heart of the matter, the affections. And that's <clears throat> really what I'm what I'm after here today um, is, is not just here's how to do this, but here's why you should do this. You know, Mm. because yeah, I don't want to go too far there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, Now, as you move along, you, in the book, you start talking about uh, a, a nation of biblical illiterates. Uh, and I love that because it's so true. Uh, and this is a problem we have seen for a long time, right? Uh, it, it, anyone that has been in ministry and, and you're dealing with people like you do, like I do, uh, trying to teach people the Bible and teach proper hermeneutics. And what, what we find out is people who have been, you know, professing believers for a long time, it, come to find out they're actually biblically illiterate. They, they don't understand what they're reading. Now, in doing the research that you did for this section, what do you think was the most eye-opening statistic that you came across? Well, 
there's one that's in the book and there's one that's not. So you get a bonus. Okay. Okay. How's that? That sound good? That, that, I, I, I love it. <laughs> so I think the most shocking one for me was probably the 12% of adults who believe Joan of Arc was, was Noah's wife. Yes. I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't send that in the questions I, I, I sent you, but when I was taking notes through reading your book, that was the one that I wrote down as well. Yeah. I was like, it, wow, that is funny. <laughs> This is, yeah, this is it. My wife tells everybody that she's like, I can't remember. she's like, Oh my gosh. The other one that's really amazing is people think Billy Graham, uh, you know, gave the Sermon on the Mount. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, Wow, oh. we got a Houston, we have a problem here. Oh, so, yeah, man. So. Wow. That is, that is terrible, man. That's funny yeah. that, that you, the, the statistic you had was the same one I thought was very interesting. Oh yeah. my goodness. That that's is funny. That's funny. That's because we're friends, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just for, so the listeners, uh, we didn't plan that. <laughs> no, we he had didn't. no idea. He had no idea that I had written that in my, in no, my personal, no. personal notes. Um, but, but yeah, it is. One of the things that's always eye-opening, right, is when Ligonier puts out their uh, statement of, uh, of, of theology, kind of uh, taking, they, they do these, these polls and these surveys uh, across the country, and it, it's so depressing every single year yeah. because you see just the basic uh, question, right, who is Jesus, and no one mm. has an idea who Jesus is. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, um, that, that report just racks me over the coals. I mean, oftentimes I just take that and I'm like, how can we like touch on something that that report touches on for theology for life yeah. or a, a number of different things? I'm just like, how can we use mm -hmm. that to be able to speak to people? Yeah, and, and it really shows uh, it, it really shows a lack of the Bible being taught from the pulpit right in the local church it really shows a lack of that taking place but i don't want to get there yet because that because i'm trying to move systematically <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> that's okay <clears throat> but i'm uh, trying to behave and not go too far too fast well i mean you know because because there's a lot that we can pull out but we also don't want to give away too much uh because we want people to go and 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 buy the book so we don't want this to be kind of the summary of the whole book and everyone go oh okay you know well now i don't need to buy it uh, we want people to go get it because because it's very it, it, it is very good um and another thing i should have said this at the beginning that i that i thought was really easy just the overall structure of the book it's not like an in-depth interpretation hermeneutic textbook it's very easy to read right so if i had uh <clears throat> someone who's a newer christian that doesn't know anything about the bible this is a very good resource for me to give to them and say start here and read this um i i think that is that is needed today because there, there's so many you have the books i have the books the theologically in-depth books that talk about the inerrancy of scripture, the infallibility of scripture, you know, authority, sufficiency, but there's nothing that's really written on an easy level to say, here, read this. This is a good place to start because one of the things you do is you separate out uh, different ways of reading the Bible, right? Your, your daily readings, your devotional readings, reading for study uh, and how those, the roles that those play and how we do those but it's not exhaustive. It goes, okay, there's a difference in how I should approach these different topics. Now, was that kind of the goal um, in that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you, you just hit on it. And, and just to kind of build up, expand on that, you know, my heart is really is for the layperson. I want to write books for the layperson because for the reason you just said, because there's like nothing. Well, there, there is stuff out there, right? But it's not any good. It's, it's not, not any good, it's not, right? It's not rich and, and meaningful. It's not something like what I want is, is for somebody that like yourself, that's a Bible teacher or a pastor say, hey, here's this book. The word explored. Uh, 
you should go read that or mm -hmm. whatever else, you know, I put out, I want it to all be for the lay person where they can be like, Hey, that's what that issue is about. That's what that conversation is about. Mm -hmm. Boom. I get it. I get what yeah. that is now. I don't, I, before I didn't know what that was, or maybe I had like a little bit of an idea of it, but boom, now I really, I really understand that, you know, and I can go to those other books, like you mentioned, um, mm -hmm. and there's so many of them. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that came to my mind was, <clears throat> you know, J.I. Packer was a brilliant man, but his whole goal in his work was for the layperson to know God better. It wasn't to write at, at such a huge scholarly level that went above everyone's head. It was to take the layman and introduce them to God so that they could commune with God. And that was one of the things that I, I, I thought about was uh, how Packer wrote a concise theology, which is very simple, easy to follow, easy for the layman to read. And I thought about this and I go, it's a concise, biblical, literate book that goes you know, it introduces the reader to the Bible and says, this is how you do this. And this is how you enjoy doing this. Uh, so that was one of the, one of the things that immediately popped in my head as I, be, as I began to read it. Um, wow. That's high praise, brother. That's very humbling. Thank you. Yeah, no problem, man. No problem. Um, <clears throat> now you talk about three aspects of the Holy Spirit's mm -hmm. ministry in the book. Um, as it pertains to reading the Bible, what are these three, if you could touch on some of these three aspects, just give us a little taste. Don't, don't go in depth, but just give us a little taste because some people will say, well, if I'm reading the Bible, what's the point of the Holy spirit or some people will, 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 will swing the pendulum all the way to the other side and go, well, I don't, uh, I don't need any other type of study tool. I only need the Holy spirit and he will illuminate things for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, to the person who is saying that they only need the Holy Spirit, I mean, that those are probably the same people that are going to say, well, you know, I don't need any commentaries, right? I don't mm -hmm. need any books. Right. Um, and that is, you know, that that's a that's a fault. That's the opposite air, right? Mm -hmm. Because we not only have the Bible, but God has gifted the church with with teachers, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. Yes. Um, so we have to we have to understand that the Holy Spirit um, yes, illuminates truth like he did to the people on the road to Emmaus, but he also gifts people to teach the word. Um, and, and so we have a plethora, two thousand. we mentioned much information. We have over 2,000 years of church history to draw from, from men that I quote in the book, like um, Calvin and Tyndale, and I'm sure there's many others off the top of my head. But the, the, the Holy Spirit's aim really quickly, three points of uh, Holy Spirit's aim is to testify to biblical truth. The Holy Spirit's aim is to testify to biblical truth by pointing people to Jesus. And the third point is the Holy Spirit intends to work in the life of people uh, to bring them nearer to Jesus through reading and studying the word. I would encourage your listeners, our listeners to go and study uh, John 15 through 17, uh, mostly 15 and 16 where Jesus gives the lengthiest treatment on what the Holy Spirit is and mm -hmm. what he aims to do. If you don't understand that, you need to go study um, these things. And, I, and and these are really just the three bullet points. You know, I could cite a lot. I cite lots of scripture. I think mm -hmm. there's well over, the book is only 110 pages mm -hmm. and it has well over a hundred Bible references. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you're looking for a book that uh, I've tried to, to, but it doesn't quote the Bible. So it's not like overwhelming. Right. Um, I, I, there's little footnotes where you can go and see, oh, okay, that's what he's talking about. You, and I encourage you, I encourage our listeners um, to pick up the book and then to, you know, pick up this book and with your Bible along with it, read it and read those mm -hmm. verses too, because that'll really help you to see, okay, that's what that is too. Okay. This is where we get this, you know? So, um, yeah. 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 That's great. That's great. I hope, <clears throat> I really hope those three aspects, people will go, oh, now I really need to go see what he says about <laughs> the Holy Spirit's working through my reading. Because one of the things, man, and I came out of the charismatic movement, right? And it was, it was always, 
you know, it's, it's the father, the son, and the Holy spirit, not the father, the son, and the Holy Bible, because, you know, guys like us, we place a lot of emphasis on the written word on God's, on God's Holy word. Um, but the spirit draws us to scripture and in scripture magnifies Christ. You know, the, 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 the spirit's job is to point us to Christ and where do the only place we know about Christ is through the word. It's the only place we know about his life. It's the only place we know about his death and his resurrection. Uh, so if the spirit is going to magnify Christ in our life, he's going to do it through the word. Um, but now there are, there are two things that I find really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I, and I find, I have found these fascinating for a very long time. So you pointed them out and I go, man, it's like he's in my head. Um, right. So, so you say what we listen to reflects what we love and then what we prioritize reflects what we love. And so, so now let me, let me just go to the first one. It seems as though people will diligently memorize song lyrics to, uh, whatever the, the latest pop song or craze is but they intentionally avoid memorizing scripture, right? So, so we see uh, what we listen to gets elevated above scripture, and then we prioritize those things above scripture. Yeah, that's true. That's really true. I mean, I, th I, I, I thought that was, I, I thought it was great that you touched on that, but looking at our culture, we have a culture of people that have an attention span of 15 seconds. Right. And so to sit them down and to read a passage of scripture, they immediately get bored. You know, uh, I, I just, I find one of the most challenging things for me is trying to teach someone to prioritize scripture reading. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you get told, I, I got, I get told or have been told, Hey, well, if you encourage David Bible reading, you're basically a legalist, you know, <laughs> right. uh, because, because, Hey, you're telling me what I have to do. Plus believe in the grace of God. Right. So you're adding to that, but actually it's the opposite. And and so many things in the Christian life are are opposite. They run counter to our way of thinking, right? right. So you know, we 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 believe, as Scripture teaches, that God delights over His people. Um, he he. The Scripture tells us over and over again that we're the apple of His eye. In the Psalms, we're told to delight in the Lord. You know, so this is where I go with this. The whole aim I'm trying to do is is to since God delights in you know, his people, he delights over his word because what is the word? It's 66 books, 39 of the, you know, in the Old Testament, 29 in the New. And God delights over every single uh, part of that book. So, and Jesus talks about what we, what, what we treasure, you know, that'll reveal our hearts, you know, and so mm, we're supposed that's a to, good point. Yeah. We're supposed to seek him above all things. Mm -hmm. How are we going to seek him? Like you were saying about the Holy Spirit and you coming out and the spirits working in our lives. How are we going to do that if we're not prioritizing what he loves? Mm -hmm. and, and, and also I'll go here. I don't want to take away from where we're going with the church either later, but I mean, it's the same Paul explicitly says in, in Ephesians chapter five, right? That Christ loved and he bled for the church to present her blameless. That's the church. The church is the only institution that God says he loves, that he yes. led and he died for. So, I mean, and what is the church's job? The church is, I'm not going to take away too much from where you want to go here, <laughs> but, but I mean, that's, that's why we're supposed to preach the word, right? That's why, but even more so personally, individually, there's two aspects to the book. So I'll go here. The, the, the first part is the personal aspect where people are, you know, reading the word and studying the word and meditating, memorizing and applying the word. And the second aspect is the corporate dimension, which we're mm, into, yeah, where we're yeah. doing life with one another. But all of that is under the word. It's all about the word. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> now, um, go, going back to kind of this prioritizing um, scripture 
And it's all, I also find it really interesting because we can parallel that with people who, uh, who people who that claim they, they love Christ and that they're in Christ, but yet they don't have relationship with Christ, right? <laughs> they don't, yeah. they don't seek after Christ in their own personal life. And I'm going, how do you say you love someone that you don't have relationship with that you're not actively? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it doesn't work. Right. It, I mean, I have to, if I'm in a relationship, I have to diligently be, be seeking that person and to know that person. Um, but our, our Bible reading, you touch on this point that says, is it a, it, should it be a delight or should it be a duty? But then you kind of combine them and say, well, it's a delightful duty. So uh, because scripture, after all, is a gift from God. It's, it's one of the means of grace. So how do we, how do we move from viewing the Bible, daily Bible reading, as a duty, as something to check off of a list, into something that is actually a, a delightful duty uh, yeah. in our lives? Well, you just kind of use the example. You know, I say on social media, I love my wife. Well, those aren't just, it's nice to say that. But if I don't accompany it with action, right, in my daily life, like before this recording, my wife, uh, we, we were putting things together in our, in our new house here in Oregon. And um, she asked me if I would put away uh, the, the TV stand with the, you know, the, um, with the gl- had glass on it and those types of things. I didn't have to do that right then, but she asked me to do that. To her, that's how she you know, receives love. You know, she asked me to do something. She wants me to do it. And I have the time, and so I made the time. What does that do? Why did I do it? Because she asked me to do it. I mean, part of it was that was a yes, but more than that, the reason why I did it is because I delight in my wife. Mm. Yes. You know, I delight to to spend time with her. But even more so, there there was a time when, um, you know, I really do love my wife. But there was a time when I think every guy knows, right? When they when they're like, Lord, help me to love my wife. You know what I mean? Yes. Like yeah. you just feel like dry and dead and you're like, mm-hmm. Lord, help me. And it's in those times when we can say, God, that's a prayer. I believe God will always answer mm-hmm. um, because that's a great commandment. There's no person that's greater uh, th- to that's our neighbor than our spouse. Right. You know, and God wants us to love our spouse. So in the same way, you know, we're supposed to pray and ask God to help us to love what he loves. He loves his word. He loves his people. He loves his church. You know, he wants us to love one another, but it has to start with a love that comes from the new birth, right? The only way that we can possibly can't just, you know, we're not moralists. So we don't get, we're not going to encourage people to say, Hey, just love God because Hey, you, 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 you can do that on your own. You know, right. Uh, you know, that's, uh, that's heresy. love God and then do the right thing. Yeah, and yeah, as long as yeah. you're continually doing the right thing, then you're good. I mean, you might as well, at that point, you might as well preach baptismal regeneration and, <laughs> yeah, and, that's right. and, and then you can love God. I mean, that's right. It doesn't, it doesn't end up working. So, so I have to, in order to get this right, in order for us to get this delightful duty, right. We have to understand what Jesus did and he paid that penalty, you know, that, that white hot fury of God, the father was placed on Jesus at the cross and it's there that we have forgiveness and hope and peace and reconciliation and adoption and all those beautiful things that the Bible tells us. And, and it's because of that work of sovereign grace in Jesus that, that we can be made new creations, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5, right? So that's how we, you know, and it's by believing in that, that we are made new, new child of, children of God and, you know, loved by God. And so it's through this then that we can delight in Jesus because Jesus delights in us. Mm-hmm. It's not I delight in Jesus. It's Jesus delights in me. And what does Jesus delight in? Like I just already said, probably several times that he delights in his word. Mm-hmm. He delights in his people. He delights in his church. So how can I, if, if Jesus delights in all these things, how can I not delight in it? But see, this order is important because if I say you must read your Bible, like people say, to get some benefit to grow in Christ. That's not compelling enough for me to keep doing it. I might do it for a time and a season, but I'm going to get worn out by doing it. 
That's a good if point. I tell yep. if I tell people instead the opposite thing that God delights over His Word, He delights over His people, He delights over His church. I'm going. I'm going way deeper than just saying, "Hey, read your Bible because your behavior is going to change." I I want that, yes, mm-hmm. but you're never going to get. You're never going to win people and keep them in the Bible if you don't get at their affections. That's why I aimed the book towards the affections, towards mm-hmm. the towards the part where of us that we have new affections. We've been saved, and we've been saved from from a life of sin, um, you know, to Christ. Um, we were formerly enemies of God, and now we're his friends. And so now we can delight in God because he calls us his friends. And so why wouldn't we want to get to know more about our friend? You know, mm-hmm. it, it, we can break this down <clears throat> a little bit. You know, I'm interested in you, Drew. We're friends. Mm-hmm. We, we talk. We, you share about me, your life. I share about, you know, mine with you and vice versa and so on and so forth as friends do. The same is true with in the Christian life, Right. God has given us these 66 books. He has told us, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. This is what I aim to do. This is all these things that I've come to do to show you who I am and how much I love you. And what we do is instead of picking up that book and reading it, we say, oh, I don't have time for that book. I'd rather do this and I'd rather do that. And then we never get to know God. We never get to know. Now, now I want to be careful here because some people will hear this as I'm guilt tripping them. And, and I know this because I've heard this before mm-hmm. many, many times, but actually listen to me, what I'm doing, what I'm trying to get you to understand is, is that th- this is more, this is the reading the scripture is just as important for you as you eating and drinking and spending time with your spouse. Because if you don't do those things, you, Everybody wants to make a difference, but nobody wants to make a sacrifice. Mm. Nobody wants to delight. People want to say, oh, I know so-and-so and so forth and those kind of things and blah, blah, blah. And you and I, we can go back and forth on that all day, right? Right. Uh, some more than others. Um, yeah, you way um, more than me. <laughs> I wasn't trying to say that, but that's true. But, but, but uh, no, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> just because, you know, you know, people, you've talked to people, uh, yeah. we over here, we know people and then we're, we're getting to know more people and building yeah. relationships and stuff. So, so yeah, we can go back and forth and have stories and things like that. Yeah. But I mean, the, the more important thing is, is that we're spending time getting to know our friend, Jesus, you know, right. I mean, he's more than our friend. He's our, you know, our savior, our Lord, and our, all of our life is to be shaped around him and, and all those things. But the reason for that is what I'm trying to aim at in the book is, is really to help what, what, to cultivate that godly character um, that the New Testament describes. You know, we're, 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 we're saved for a purpose, and that purpose is to become like Jesus. Mm-hmm. But so many of us are just stuck in, I got saved, and now what? Right. What now? Yes. And, and this is what I'm trying to say is, hey, don't just say, so what? Here's what you need to do. This is why you need to do it, because God has given you these new affections in Christ, and you're supposed to train them. Uh, Titus 3.5 tells us that we're to renounce uh, ungodliness. Paul tells us in Colossians 3 that we're supposed to put off and put on. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason that we can do that is we've been united to Christ by faith in, in Jesus. And so, you know, and we have the Holy Spirit. We go back to the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is doing what? He's teaching us about Jesus. You know, you might know all the – I don't – I don't. I want to be careful when I say this, too. You can know all the information. You can mm-hmm. recite it off the head off the top of your tongue, it can roll out of your mouth. Guess what? I know that too. I've known that since I was in high school. (laughs) Okay. We, they taught us systematic theology in high school. I didn't need to take a systematic theology class in seminary. I didn't need to go to Bible college and seminary. I I went to Bible college and seminary. And by the way, this is going to sound really bad, but it was so easy. That was so easy (laughs) for me. I was just like, uh, yeah. Did you learn? Did my wife's like, did you learn anything out of that? I'm like, you know, I learned a lot by writing. Let's yeah. just say that you know, <laughs> I got a lot out of writing, but that's what I want. I, if we, if we will aim at the affections of God's people, um, that will, that will help us to grow, to be like Jesus. And that's really where the new Testament goes. Yeah. Right. And, and the purpose of that is everybody I said, wants to make a difference. They want to be a, uh, but nobody wants to sacrifice. Um, and, but that, 
the way to grow in Christ is always uh, you have to make a sacrifice, not a sacrifice. Like you will make an offering up to God, you know, Jesus already did that once and once and for all, but everybody wants to be, make a difference, but nobody really wants to be truly effective. Nobody really wants to die to their sin and, and grow in, in Christ as the Bible describes. And, and that's what we need. We need mm-hmm. Christians who are not so, so stuck on the milk and the yes. ba- and being baby Christians. Um, and everybody, like I said, wants to be effective and they want to make a difference. But this is how God has told us how we're supposed to be effective and faithful and fruitful. So, yeah, yeah. As you were as you were talking, I was thinking about, uh, <clears throat> you know, everyone, especially we belong to kind of the Reformed tradition, right, of theology. And there's so many within that camp that that have that knowledge, that head knowledge, right? That can just go on and on about all these different things uh, and possess the knowledge. And sometimes, and I'm not saying that that they don't, but sometimes it it, it appears as though they're missing the relational um, affections uh, in, in the relationship. They, they it's it's like they've they've studied the scriptures to gain the knowledge but they haven't grown in the affection portion. They haven't, you know, I'm because a lot of times I'll, 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 I'll read things on, on social media or I'll talk to people and I'll go, okay, but how's your communion with God? <laughs> you know, that's, that's the first question that pops into my mind because like you said, you can have all the answers, but having all the answers doesn't, doesn't really mean anything unless you're changed. You're actually, your heart is actually changed by what you're reading. And it's once you're changed by that, then it, that's going to move you into action um, yeah. to do those things. Um, <clears throat> now, moving into another point, um, many Christians miss this point, uh, especially in the Old Testament. No one thinks the Old Testament is relevant for today. Um, and sometimes they miss it in the New Testament with some of Paul's writings, um, the, the general epistles as well but they miss Christ in the Bible. Why do you think they miss Christ? Well, and to the listeners, to the listeners, when I say miss Christ, I mean that they, they overlook him. They don't see him. Yeah. Well, they have to, to those who are overlooked or never seen him in the text, they have to be taught the Christ centered nature of scripture, right? Like Ooh, yeah. on five, 539 and Luke 24, you know, in John 539, Jesus tells them, you search the scriptures, speaking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders yeah. who should yeah. know should about know, yeah. Jesus, you know, they, they supposedly know, you right. know, and, and what we have to understand is that is actually a rebuke. If you look mm-hmm. at the context, it's not, it's not, well, you, people say they interpret that. Well, that's the, you search scriptures because, you know, they testify of me, but you have to understand that's actually kind of like a backhand slap right. that Jesus is giving to the Pharisees because yeah. they know the scriptures. You know, now we can also use it on the positive side for the, you know, the, the redemptive focus that, you know, we're talking about here too, but Luke 24 also hits on that. But, you know, from Genesis 3.15, talking about the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, other passages, they all point forward to, to Jesus. You know, the whole Bible right. has, a, has a unity um, in Jesus. So, like, for example, some people really struggle with Revelation. We'll go to the New Testament. What you have to understand is Revelation would probably be triple the size if, because it's full of um, illusions and symbolism. Um, it's, it's called commentators call it the most biblical book in the new Testament in the Bible. Not that it is the most, it is a biblical book, but, it, but the, what, what he does is he goes back to the old Testament. So you have mm-hmm. to understand the old Testament to be able to read revelation. Right. And Hebrews is the same, you know, yeah. you know, so you have to understand that the whole Bible, the point there is that the whole Bible <clears throat> has a whole goal. It has a whole message and it's centered on the person and work of Jesus. So if somebody hasn't ever been told that, and by the way, to clarify for our listeners who know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about doing that responsibly. I'm not talking about, you know, you pull a rabbit out of your hand and this leads to Jesus <laughs> and that leads to Jesus. We're right. talking about you're doing your, you're right. doing your work and you're, you're studying it and aiming to find out how it, how it does point to Jesus. Right. Um, so the Bible has a unity and it's all centered on Jesus, who is the apex of all of our history, the world's history. Mm-hmm. 
That's right. Yeah. And now that leads us into uh, how important is the Bible within the context of the local church? Well, we, we need to, I'll start here. And I use this example, um, John Calvin, right? He, he was kicked out of Geneva and moved to Strasbourg and then he got asked back, you know, real <laughs> short, like super short summary. I, I talk about it in the book. So if you want to know more about the story, you can read it there. It is a well-known story, but it mm. highlights something. He, when he came back to Geneva, he, he picked up right where he preached the Bible, the very next verse. And, and why did Calvin do that? Well, Paul says this in 1 Timothy 4.13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, and to teaching. We need to remember that these words, the, the New Testament, uh, this was oral culture that it was written in. And so they were given uh, to the people. They weren't written down until, you know, till later. So when we ask the question, how important is the Bible to the local church? Well, these words, they tell us how important they are. They're not an option. You know, this, these are written, you know, to these words are written to Timothy. They're letters given to instructions for how he is to conduct ministry. And the same is true for ministry today. So, th so the argument is, is that what, what the question you asked is about the central place of the scripture in our churches. You know, I'm going to go here. I hope you're ready. Go there, <laughs> you man. Know, <laughs> you know, people, people today want to talk about, they think that they can feed people the topical sermon and those types of things. And there's certainly a place for topical sermons in the church but not as the regular diet. Of right. Right. You know, now, now when we talk about expository sermons, we're talking about expository sermons, sermons that ground, you know, the point of the message as the point of the sermon. And then, as I said earlier, make an appropriate uh, um, uh, point people to Jesus appropriately, you know, from explanation of the text. Right. You know, we see this all throughout people object to this, we, but we see this kind of preaching all throughout the history of the church. You know, those who are faithful, um, when we, some people say, well, what about Spurgeon? Spurgeon never preached expository sermons in the sense that we, we would call today. However, you know, I noticed you laughed. I think it's funny too. Yeah. I do because, because, but you know, he, he would take a text though and he would explain it and then he would take people to Jesus. Now, did he preach through books of the Bible? No. Okay. Do I think that that was a mistake? Nah, you know, he's the Prince of Preachers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go like that. Do I think that that's, do I think that that's the normal way that we should preach? No. You know, we, we, the reformers emphasize lecto continua, which is, you know, the, the preaching through texts of scripture, through books of the Bible. Now how that's done um, is a matter between an elder board, I would say, you know, you could have, you know, now that now let me be clear before I say this, okay? You know, the that the expository sermon that's the point of the passage is the point of the sermon that makes a beeline to Jesus and using Spurgeon's words. That is absolutely critical. But how that's done, see, you could have a section like say Genesis one through eleven, and they go through that and uh or you know, judges one through ten or whatever. Um, my personal thing on that is I think you go straight through the book. I mm -hmm. think that that adds, there's an added advantage to that. Um, there is added advantage to the other approach as well. I think it's more important for people just to go through a book, take however much time that is, you know, whatever, however long that is, that's, that's, a, that's a decision for elders and pastors. But because what that does is gets people, it raises their biblical literacy about that book, about that subject, about the subject that the, the theme of the topics and the, the things that that book addresses. Um, it, so the, the, the centrality of scripture to the local church is absolutely, you know, essential. Um, we want to prioritize programs and methods about the word today. We, we talked about, you talked about the, I really appreciate what you said about the word and the spirit together, but we have to, we have to be clear here as well, that the word is what the spirit um uses to convict people of their sin yep. it points yep. them to jesus yep. the word is what the spirit uses to grow disciples into the image and likeness of jesus the word is what the spirit uses to strengthen the church and its 
his mission of making disciples. So we have to preach expository sermons. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the best examples of that, I think, in the New Testament is Hebrews. You know, that that letter is an expository sermon. That's right. Yeah. You know <laughs> itself. So the argument that expository preaching isn't in the Bible. That, that yeah. <laughs> the the entire point. book of Hebrews is a homiletical letter. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, one of the things that I think is so uh, important for the Bible and the local church, um, it hits on two aspects, right? Uh, it hits on as, as the Bible is taught and the Bible is used as our foundation in the local church. The first thing that it does is it focuses on the vertical. It focuses on our, our relationship with God, who he is, what he's done, but then our response to him as well and how we are to respond to him. Uh, so we, we, we can call that the regulative principle, right? The, the church should be governed by the regulative principle, which is regulated by scripture alone. <clears throat> but then there's also the horizontal aspect, which scripture teaches us how we are to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm after that in the book. You know, the second part of the book is is exactly for that. You know, that's why um, I've been asked already by some people who have read advanced copies why you have a chapter in the small on small groups even, and it's because I'm after the one another. It's there that you know in community that we can ask those questions. It's mm-hmm. a safe place where we can talk about the sermon or other topic or a book or whatever, and we can do life with one another in our biblical awareness. We, we feel safe to ask the questions that we wouldn't ask our pastor. Or yeah. We should be able to ask them those questions. Yeah. Um, you know, so, it's really interesting yeah. because small groups, some people are, are for small groups. There, Some people are against small groups, like adamantly against small groups. Uh, I'm very much for small groups as long as they're done right. But a lot of times what we see in kind of this modern church culture is we have small groups and they're really just glorified get together dinner parties. There's no scripture at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one thing that I did is we would start out, we would talk and we would fellowship and that's an important thing. But during that time, we'd also ask, Hey, I would ask, Hey, how can we be praying for mm-hmm. everybody and everybody go around and we probably would spend 30 minutes out of the hour or two hours that we would be there talking about, you know, how we can pray. And sometimes that led into just in, towards the later end of my time leading that Bible study into just uh, maybe not even doing the lesson. The lesson was just talking about that person's need. So it was, mm-hmm. there was some felt need of ministering to those things, but just being even sensitive to that. And I'm not saying that's the regular diet of the Bible study either. I'm just saying being sensitive to that and um, can, can be really, really important and speak to mm-hmm. also the relational aspect right. that you talked about. Yeah. But that's getting into, have, that's getting into some of that application of the text in that, yeah. in that, in that context right there. Yeah. Yeah. And that builds that builds what that does is it builds trust mm-hmm. where people feel like, hey, this guy isn't just up there, you know, talking or whatever. And I I, I, I wasn't asking questions. I was actually straight up just teaching you know, mm-hmm. during that time, although I, I see the benefit of asking questions and getting people in that, you know, um, for, for some people, the, some settings that works for others, it's you know, it just depends on the group and the dynamic of what you what you're trying to uh, accomplish. But I, I think that. You know, just having only to your point about just having a small group with only food or whatever, that's not that's just fellowship. That's not right. You're not get, which is important, yeah. which is important to have. But but the small group context needs to needs to be one that maybe takes the Sunday sermon or something and then goes deeper. It kind of brings it to a more personal level with with people that in your immediate local community. Yeah, if you're going to do just a tip here, if you're going to do like the sermon, you know, maybe you give a, the leader of the study gives a, a brief overview of the sermon and mm-hmm. then just ask a question. Hey, um, what are some things that you took out from away from this particular sermon? And usually those aren't the, on the same day, like ours isn't on the same day. So we actually talk about this and the leader of the Bible study, uh, the small group, asks that kind of question. And then what are like some takeaways you took away from the, you know, the sermon. And mm-hmm. then we just talk for maybe like 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then pray. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be a, you don't have to have like, this is what you do at this time. This is what you do at this time. It can just be however it happens, but it always, always should be gathering to, 
you know, whether you eat, whether you eat or whether you fellowship, you should always be gathering to around the word and to yep. pray. Yep. That's right. That's, that's, that's very good. Very good. Now <clears throat> people are probably, uh, listening. Um, and I know, uh, I've gotten this question. Uh, you've gotten this question because you bring it up in the book. The question is, uh, where do I begin? So what, how would you answer the, where do I, where do I begin question? Well, that's a, it's a good question. Um, there's a lot to say about that. You know, I think what I want to do here is uh, just remind our, remind our listeners about what the Bible is, right? Genesis is a narrative. So it tells the story of creation. It tells the story of the first relationships um, in the, in the creation. Um, and, you know, we have all sorts of things happening there. You know, in, in Exodus, you know, we have the story of Israel, and that points us forward to Jesus. You know, in Leviticus, we have all those laws, but the laws have a goal, and they tell us about the holiness of God. And, you know, in Deuteronomy, we have all the, you know, more of the laws, and but they tell us also about what it means to love the Lord. You know, and Jesus talks about this in Matthew 22, you know, and Deuteronomy <laughs> is used in the prophets and um, the, to the covenant curse and blessings. And so what we, we need to understand is that the Bible has a unity, it has a pur- has a purpose, has a focus. You know, we fast forward to the gospels now. We see that the, they all tell the story of the life, death, burial, and resurrection and ascension and um, of Jesus and how he's going to come back. Um, you know, the epistles, they are they are written for the church to instruct them, to correct them at times. You know, we think of 1 Corinthians um, about the Christian life, the ministry. Um, you have Rev- Jude and, you know, Revelation and Hebrews. You know, um, Revelation in particular I mentioned talks about end times, but it, but it also talks about, you know, how the church is to function even. Mm-hmm. And so so where to start, you know, I would say – for the new Christian, I would say start at, at uh, John, I think is a good one, or Luke. Um, I mm. really like Luke. Luke is really under undersold on this. You know, everybody goes to John. Right, right. Um, the, the, <laughs> the big thing is, is, the big thing is, is to spend five to 10 minutes a day, not, not 20 minutes, not 30 minutes, start at five to 10. Whether, and whether you listen or whether you read is, you know, up to you. So, Decide what works for you. You know, if you like to listen to an audiobook, then get the U version out, download it, listen to it. If you like to read, uh, pick a little portion of scripture. Maybe pick. Uh, I would say if you don't have much time to read, pick at least the the book that your pastor is preaching through, mm. and read it. Read that book. Um, so th- those are some things that I would say. Awesome. Now let, let's change it. That question slightly differently. Uh, a parent, uh, they may have a teen or a preteen, so a middle schooler. Uh, they're they're getting interested in 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 you know because of youth groups or or whatever it may be. They're getting interested in in reading scripture. Now, would would you say your starting place would be the same? You, you know, when I was a, I'll just say that what I did as a as a teenager uh, coming out and I started really reading the Bible a lot. I just wanted to read and devour it. You know, I didn't really understand all that I was reading. Um, so if it was a, like, say, say it was a newborn, like we're talking a toddler, you know, they have all sorts of good books from Crossway and the good book. They have age appropriate ones even. So I would commend those resources to parents. They even have children's Bibles, the story Bibles, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But for a teenager, I would just, I would, I would want to encourage them, the parent to talk to their, to their youth pastor um and just encourage them get in the bible just read it you know you don't have to the the thing is is uh, this may be a little controversial um you don't have to understand everything that you read in the bible right i I don't mean that i don't mean that it's not important to understand everything in the bible i'm just saying just get in it read it Mm. and wrestle with what i mean is wrestle with it get in it and, and and struggle with it some things are Paul Peter even said some things that that uh, <laughs> Paul said are hard to hard understand. to understand. Yeah, you know, so you have to really wrestle with it. And Peter so, was an apostle, so if he's yeah. reading Paul, going, uh, let me read this a couple more times. You know, <laughs> I think it's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so now, if there was one thing 
that you hope readers take away from this book? What is that one thing? You know, I hope that readers will walk away understanding more of the variety of ways that Christians should read, study, memorize, and meditate and apply on the Bible. Along with doing life with one another, I hope that this book will help uh, give you a passion for the Bible, um, help you understand the motivations for reading your Bible, maybe whether you're a newer Christian or an older Christian, you know, and, and I think the book is appropriate for both. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll give you a hunger and a thirst for his word. And then I, my prayer is that he, this, this book will help ignite a hunger and a thirst to pastor and Bible teachers uh, to pro- proclaim the word and to stand fast in light of the word and to equip the people um, in their care and uh, to do the same. So, you know, you said this, you, you believe this book is for uh, kind of the newer and the more mature Christian. Um, yeah. You know, I think <clears throat> that this book is very good for the mature Christian because sometimes we just need to go back to the basics and, and we need to, to, uh, re-understand why we're doing what we're doing because uh, we get so lost in trying to uh, get into the technicalities and the fine details and and, and really kind of dig into to all the, the stuff that people don't see just because we have that ability to, we forget why we're doing it. Uh, man, so I would, I would actually say, yeah, this is a great book for even the mature Christian to stop, go back to the basics, right? And even, and even before the basics, right? Because I think this is a, gr- a great introduction to the basics and just say, this is why you're doing what you're doing, okay? And, and, and really mature Christians need that encouragement as well because you can get burnt out. You lose sight of, of why, you're, why you're doing it, why you're studying scripture, and, and you need that, that encouragement as well. Now, where can, uh, oh, go ahead. Can I, oh, I just wanted to say on that, you know, I remember my varsity golf coach saying, keep it simple, stupid. And not that he was calling me stupid, but, you know, I would get so entrenched in the mechanics of a golf swing mm-hmm. and what I needed to do. And, you know, I know you play baseball, so you can recognize that, you know, right. the mechanics of the baseball swing. And, and we can get so, um, you know, drenched in everything, especially those of us who are, you know, really theological nerds. And so, so really, I just would want to say, just keep it simple. You know, uh, Albert Einstein is, it's, this is a convicting thing. It's not in the Bible, but Albert Einstein, you know, is a brilliant scientist. Um, and he said, if you can't explain something simply uh, to somebody, then you don't understand it. And that has always been kind of like, when I write and when I speak, if I, if somebody, if the person in the pew, the person that doesn't have any of that prior knowledge, if they don't understand what I'm saying, if they can't connect with it, mm-hmm. then how, how much do I really know it? Right. And so that always is challenging me because right. I always have to think at the most simple, basic thing, not to, and, and, and when people, whenever I say this, I, I think that some people think, well, you have to talk down to people. And that's not what I mean either, because people right. aren't stupid either. You, but you, you can talk deep theology. You just have to explain what you mean. Mm-hmm. You have to explain your, what the, 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 the yeah. nuts and bolts of the term is. You know, sometimes it seems like some people they don't understand what they're talking about, but they're hiding behind big words. <laughs> so they that it looks are. like they, they know. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Yep. <clears throat> so now where can people uh, get the book and uh, how can people get in contact with you? Well, you can find the book at uh, the publisher H and E uh, Westminster books has also decided to pick it up. So thankful for that. You can get it at Amazon. If you buy a copy, you want it signed. Um, you want to write this down. Uh, you can send it to me, Dave Jenkins, 519 Southeast King Street, Unit 939, Roseburg, Oregon, 97470. I would be happy to sign it for you and send it back to you. Uh, you can find me at Twitter at, at Dave J. Jenkins, Facebook at Dave Jenkins SOG, and Instagram at Dave J. Jenkins. Um, you can find out more about Servants of Grace at servantsofgrace.org you know, where we have a lot of podcasts, a magazine, daily articles grounded in the scriptures. And I'll make sure to put all that in the show notes as well. <clears throat> well, uh, Dave, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on and uh, talk to us about your book, uh, The Word Explored. Um, again, 
I mean, I can't say enough good things about it uh, because it's a it's a great reminder to myself, um, something that I really needed. Um, and I I can't wait for my physical copy uh, to show up. Uh, Yours is coming. Yours is coming. And it's going to be signed, too. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, brother. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Well, um, to our listeners, I hope that this has encouraged you um, to go go back to the basics. Uh, I want to encourage you get this book. Uh, You won't be disappointed. Get it. Read it. Take your time going through it. All right. Dave said it's it's 110 pages. Uh, It's a very easy read. It's written that way on purpose. So go through it slowly, devour it. Let it be that reminder. Let it be that encourager for you to understand why you are reading the Bible, why you are coming to scripture to commune with God. And with that, we're going to get out of here on this episode of Matter of Theology. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>